Good morning, Crestview family. Hey, how is everybody today? I'm so glad to see you here. Thank you for choosing to come worship with us this morning here at Crestview. I'm excited uh, to see what God's got in store today. We got a special Lord's Supper today, if you guys haven't looked down here and noticed, so that's exciting. Um, If you're a guest or a visitor with us for the first time, we'd love to get to know you a little better. You could fill a card out in the pews in front of you and drop that in the offering plate and um, just give us an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. Um, There are a lot of things going on here at Crestview Baptist Church. I'm excited. Um... Listen, the youth and children take up a whole page on the inside of the bulletin, so I'm excited about that. Um, A few things coming up next week, I believe it's next week, we have our WMU Mission Supper, is that correct, Joy? Our our lunch, yeah, not supper, lunch, our mission lunch is right after church. It's a donation of your choosing, it goes to uh, North Carolina Missions, and... um, do what, Miss Joy? You can sign up on the bulletin board that way, so we can be sure we have enough baked potatoes and enough salad um, stuff. So, uh, and after that, um, so around 12:45, 1 o'clock, the youth and kids we're going to take off. We're going to Kylie's skating ring. We're going to be doing some skating. Uh, it costs ten dollars, but never let. The price of something stop you from coming. Just come talk to me about it. We'll work it out, I promise. Um, and we'll be back here at the church around 3.30. Um, there is uh, also, uh, if you signed up for the uh, fall leadership deacon training, it's Tuesday um, at Poplar Springs Baptist Church. Everybody's just going to meet there, I'm assuming. All right, 6.30 for the meal at Poplar Springs, and the training starts at 7, if you're going to be doing that. Also, um, if you want to do the jail ministry here at church, uh, September the 14th is the last opportunity to participate for the next three years. Um, If you can come out to that, uh, it's at Elizabeth Baptist Church. Uh, Don't forget about our Wednesday night services, our children and youth in the building, and our adult studies up here. Um, and so at this point in time, I'm begging because, uh, I know I I have a lot of people to say that that I know are willing to help and they'll show up at time, but if you are willing to help and assist me and Miss Laura at the, the bonfire and lock-in after the Crest game in 22nd, please come to me and talk to me about it. Um, I have a lot of kids who have been inviting people and... Wanting and are looking forward to it, but if I don't get enough volunteers to help and are willing to stay up, and I know that's a lot to ask, and I don't, but if I don't get the volunteers, I'll have to cancel it, and I don't want to have to do that. I look forward to that. We haven't been able to have a bond, a lock-in in a long time uh, for different reasons, and this is going to be our first one since before COVID, and uh, it's after the football game. It's a great opportunity to invest in our young people. Um, young people are the future of the church and um, they're the ones going to be carrying this, the message of Christ out and this is a great opportunity to get unreached people into the church too people will step foot on a church campus 
who would never, ever dream about stepping foot on a church campus. And yes, it's going to be a lot of fun, but I always, always take an opportunity to share the gospel at these events. Because if I'm not sharing the gospel at something like this, there's no point in me having it. So, if you're willing to volunteer for that, let me know, okay? Um, also, that day, they're going to be feeding the Crest football team. And then the very next day, uh, starting at 8 a.m., is the uh, WMU Vendor Show. Um, so, you can see Miss Joy. For anything related to that, I do know, I don't know all the things that are going to be for sale. I do know until about 11 that day, um, the youth are going to be selling uh, donuts. Mmm, that's enough to get anybody there, right? And uh, Krispy Kreme donuts. And uh, I have some Rat and Knife catalogs coming in. And you're going to be able to make orders from the Rat and Knife catalogs that day. And the proceeds for those, those two things will go into our youth retreats fund. So, um, be sure you keep those on your calendar. Um, and uh, I don't think I have any more announcements. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Artie in prayer. And I, oh, Miss Sander does. I just want to add a little bit about our North Carolina missions. Uh, our goal of Crestview is $2,000. The North Carolina's goal is $2.1 million. So we, um, we are just a drop in the bucket. And so we are asking you uh, to put your offering in the envelope. If it's, uh, you don't have one that's for North Carolina Missions, just write it on the envelope. But next Sunday, we would love to have a big turnout for our meal after church. It is going to be um, uh, baked potato and salad. It'll be a salad bar and we'll have desserts and your drink. And that is just donations, but we need you to sign up so we know how many potatoes to fix. So uh, we ask you to help with that. But uh, to give you a little more information about the North Carolina Missions, uh, their theme this year is Relief for Today and Hope for Tomorrow. Uh, our offerings uh, go to several things. It goes to the Baptist on Missions, which we always think of the, the brotherhood, the men. Um, and it has been said on many occasions when there has been a disaster somewhere, there are more North Carolina Baptist men show up, uh, whether it's in Texas, um, anywhere in the United States, there's more men from North Carolina to turn out to help. So right now, a lot of focus is going on Maui. So if you had been wondering what can I do to help for that, give to the North Carolina missions. It, uh, a percentage goes to church planning uh, or planting um, missions camp, and we happen to have one here in Shelby, associational projects and mobilization ministry projects. And that big one that we have is dental. So um, we tend to give real big for foreign missions, but for some reason, our own home missions seems to get less recognition. So uh, we're just... I'm going to be like Chad. We're begging you to give this year so we can reach our goal. So uh, first thing you can do is uh, sign up for the meal for next Sunday. I would also like to make another announcement. We can't recognize everyone on their birthdays, but we have a special lady here, and today is her 85th birthday, Miss Mona. 
And we're not even going to ask her to stand, but she's on the very back with Clark and Dina. <laughs> so everybody wave at Miss Mona. But let us stand and sing happy birthday to her. Turn and face Mona so that you're looking at her when you sing. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Mona. Happy birthday to you. And many more. <laughs> Sandra stole my thunder, Mona. I was going to do that. Uh, I do have one other announcement to make. Um, this afternoon at 5.30, we're going to be having a very important meeting. This is the beginning of our church year. Last Sunday was. So this Sunday, we're going to have a very quick meeting with all committees. If you are serving on a committee in our church, Please be here at 5.30. We're going to go over the, what is needed to be done in each one of those committees and also have you elect a chairperson so we can get started with making sure that we have the, the, the information for each person that is in charge of those committees. So please be here at 5.30. If we're all here, we can get through it. It shouldn't take too long. I know that the Youth and Children's Committee are having a meeting right after that. Okay. Yes. Okay, Baptist men right after the service up here in the choir. Uh, it's very important, he says. So Baptist men meet up here right after the service. Also, today we have uh, somebody who's been on our prayer list. Um, Katie Crotz is here with us this morning. And... Um, <laughs> Those that know, uh, Katie had, um, had two surgeries this past month, and this last one threw her for a loop. And she had to end up going back in the hospital, her lung filling up with fluid, and they were able to take care of that. And she is back home and, and able to be with us this morning. So God is answering those prayers. Just continue to pray for her, but it is good to see her. It's good to see everybody here this morning. And as we go to the Lord in prayer to start our time together, please join with me. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we come before you, your throne right now. Dear Lord, we have already been able to celebrate a birthday. Dear Lord, we thank you for Miss Mona and what she means to us and for giving her another year. Dear Lord, we've also been able to celebrate the answers to prayer with having Katie here with us this morning. But dear Lord, as I look over this congregation, there are so many people that are here that have been prayed for, that we've seen, seen miracles done in their lives, dear Lord. And dear Lord, even though people from the outside may not see miracles, dear Lord, we have them. And you are still in control. And you are still caring about your children. And you are still working in our lives. Dear Lord, this morning as we come together, we ask you that your spirit move among us. That we feel your presence here because you promise that you will be in the midst of two or three if they're gathered in your name. 
And dear Lord, that is the only reason we're here this morning, because we are gathered in your name. Bless this time that we have together. Speak through Chad as he speaks with the children. Help him to instill truth in their lives. Dear Lord, be with Sandra and the choir as they lead us in worship. Speak through them this morning, dear Lord. And dear Lord, speak through me in a mighty way that we will know that we are hearing from you today. Dear Lord, may the gospel be proclaimed today. May your name be proclaimed today. So that when we leave this place today, we know that we've been in the presence of the Lord. Have your way with us today. And may it all be to your honor and glory. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our living Savior, we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our call to worship, page 139, At the Cross.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to give to you. I just pray, Lord, that you take this gift, these offerings, these tithes, and you bless it. Use it to glorify you and spread the great news about Jesus Christ. For it is your holy name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand again as we sing page 149, Blessed Redeemer. section in the back where all my friends sign and I will go look in the mirror and I will remind myself that I did in fact stay cool. Right? <laughs> and so um, but memories are great, right? And so what we're going to do today is kind of like a picture book or a memory book. Listen to this. I'm going to read you some scripture. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 25 says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. So today, we're going to come back in here toward the end of the service, and we are going to, you guys are going to get to see the Lord's Supper. And so when we do the Lord's Supper, it is to help us remember, which we shouldn't forget, but it's just to help us remember. It's like pulling out a picture book and remember, and me remembering how I stayed cool. It's like pulling up and remembering that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he gave his body and his blood, he gave it for me. Now, this time, the disciples, it hadn't happened yet. He hadn't died on the cross. And the disciples were probably a little bit confused because he had been telling them what was going to happen. But we find out later they didn't listen real well. I guess that's what makes me a good preacher because I don't listen real well either. And they didn't listen real well, so I have a lot in common with them. But, so, I want you, we're going to talk about it a little bit more in children's church. And we're going to color some pictures. And we're going to come back in here at the end of the day. We are going to see just what it means to remember through the Lord's Supper about who Jesus is and what he did for us. Okay? Let's bow our heads. And we're going to say, right there, go out the children's church. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this blessing. Thank you for each one of these boys and girls and what they, and what they bring up here, their conversations and their, their enthusiasm and their prayers. Lord, thank you for the Lord's Supper in a way that we can remember how great Jesus is and how great this sacrifice is that he made on the cross with us for us. All this I ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thank you, choir. I tell you what, I love kids. I guess that's why God gave me so many of them. But I absolutely love them. I want to say thank you to, to Kel for preaching an incredible sermon last week and a perfect sermon leading up to my sermon today. And the biblical salvation. What is biblical salvation? Well, today, really, what I'm going to talk about is the cost of biblical salvation. Because we're going to continue with the series on the Apostles' Creed. And I remember, the Apostles' Creed was put together to combat or in response to Gnosticism. The Gnostics much like people today say Jesus wasn't God, 
God doesn't exist. Jesus really didn't die. And there's no way that He really rose again. So we as Christians have to truly understand what it is when we accept Christ as our Savior and we start becoming His disciples, what we believe. So today, the next part of this creed that we're looking at is that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Now yes, we're going to end this sermon with Him being buried. But I'm going to skip ahead and tell you that thank God He didn't stay buried. And yes, He did choose this. So we're going to get a very detailed description today of what it was that Jesus chose for us. This is going to be more like an Easter sermon, but this is really the cost of our salvation. This is what Jesus chose. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 27, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. That's where we're going to jump off at today. So go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen as well as on the back of the, of the bulletin. But if you will stand and understand this, that this is the, the, the Passover meal where Jesus instituted communion, telling His disciples to do this in remembrance of Me, has already gone past. The time that He spent in the garden praying with His inner three, Peter, James, and John. This is past when He was arrested by the high priests and the members of the Sanhedrin. So look at what it says here. In, and we're going to be looking today, we're going to be going through all four Gospels and looking at different verses as their recount of what happened during this time. So, but we're going to start with Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 and 2, and it says this, Now when morning had come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put Him to death. And they bound Him and led Him away and delivered Him up to Pilate the governor. Let's pray. Our blessed Lord and Savior, we come before You once again. Thank You for what we, receive, we see recorded in the Gospels. Thank You for what You inspired these men to write that we may learn more about You and more about salvation. Bless the reading of Your Word. Speak through me today. And it's in the holy and precious name of our risen Savior we pray. Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here are the facts. Fact number one is Pontius Pilate was a historical figure. He was real. So we have a timeline of when all of this took place. See, Pontius Pilate was the fifth governor of the Roman province of Judea, serving under Emperor Tiberius from 26 to 36 A.D. 
So we have a timeline of when this happened because this is actually a historical figure. We have record of him serving in Judea. We don't know why he was sent to Judea because Judea was the worst. It would be like getting assigned to Antarctica for the Roman politicians, the Roman governors. If they got sent out to this backwater of Judea, there was a reason they were there. They had done something. They were being punished for something. Somebody just didn't like them. But it was out there. Nobody wanted to go there. So we know that, Jude, uh, that Pontius Pilate was there. We know from... His, he's best known for, for presiding over the trial and of Jesus and ultimately ordered His crucifixion. And outside of the four Gospels, Pontius Pilate is mentioned by, in the historical, the written history of Tacitus, Philo, and Josephus. So he is actually recorded in history outside of the Bible. So we know he's real. And then, fact number two is that Roman crucifixion was designed to be a gruesome, humiliating a death as possible. See, it was invented and used by other people groups, but it was perfected by the Romans as the ultimate execution by torture. Crucifixion had been around for a while. The earliest historical record of crucifixion dates to somewhere around 519 B.C. with King Darius I of Persia when he crucified 3,000 of his political enemies in Babylon. So crucifixion had been around for a while in different forms. There is a form where they use one stake and you're nailed or fastened to that stake and you're left there to die. There's also the cross or the X. There is a capital T cross. But when Rome perfected this as a means of torture, you had the lowercase t cross, which was used in this instance when Jesus was crucified. Roman crucifixions were carried out in public so that all that saw the horror would be deterred from crossing the Roman government. Crucifixion was so horrible that it was reserved for only the worst offenders. It was reserved for only the worst offenders. And it was done publicly. And Jesus chose this. But he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Look again at verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 27. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put Him to death. And they bound Him and led Him away and delivered Him to Pilate the governor. While it was the Jewish religious leaders that wanted Jesus dead. They wanted to stop Him. They wanted to shut Him up. They wanted Him gone. Because they were losing their power over the people because people were turning 
to Jesus Christ because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was changing lives. And he was telling them that they did not need to go to the priest. That they could go directly to God through him. And they did not like it. So they wanted him dead. However, being a Roman province, they did not have the power to do capital punishment. So they took him to Pilate, who as governor had the authority to do just that. Now, we have to look at this. While Pilate had the authority to put Jesus to death, we have to notice three things. First is that Pilate tried to pass the buck. Pilate saw Jesus when he found out that he was from Galilee. He sent him to somebody else so he didn't have to worry about it. Look at, look at Luke 23, verses 6 and 7. When Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at the time. So he tried to pass the buck. Remember, Pilate's wife had a dream and actually went to him and said, don't have anything to do with this man. And Pilate didn't see any that Jesus had done anything. And so he sent him to somebody else to deal with, hoping that Herod would take care of it and Pilate wouldn't have to worry about it. See, Pilate saw that Jesus was innocent. Look at Luke 23, 14. After Herod sent, Pilate, or sent Jesus back to Pilate, Verse 13 and 14, it says this, Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the, uh, and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. And then verse 15, he says, Neither does Herod. He saw him as being innocent. But because there was a reason, we don't know what it was. We don't know why Pilate was sent to Judea. We don't know why he was there. Some believe that he was there because he was being punished. That he had had problems other places, and so he was sent here to get him out of the way. But Pilate was afraid of having a riot on his hands. See, the Jews were known to get very upset very quickly and to get out of hand and would have riots. Especially when it came to their religious laws. And so Pilate finally gave in and gave the people what they wanted. Mark 15, 15, Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, 
who was a convicted murderer. They would rather have the murderer released back into their midst than have Jesus. And after having Jesus scourged, He handed Him over to be crucified. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. When He handed Him over to be crucified, we have to understand what actually happened and what crucifixion entailed. See, the creed says that He was crucified. The punishment of crucifixion was meant to inflict the, inflict the maximum pain, the, the, the maximum amount of shame and torture on their victim. The victim of crucifixion was severely scourged. Means that 39 lashes with a whip with nine leather straps with slivers of bone, metal, pottery in the, embedded in the ends of the straps. An ordeal that was life-threatening by its own self because it would lay open the flesh, exposing bone, muscle, and internal organs. You see, they would have only the most skilled soldiers carry out the scourging. They would take pleasure in what kind of wounds they were able to inflict on the person being scourged. See, we think about getting whipped by your daddy pulling off that belt, wrapping it around his hands, and grabbing your arms and doing the dosy do around in a circle, whipping you on the butt and legs and everything like that. That is not what Jesus went through. Jesus was tied with his arms outstretched, with his ribs exposed. They took that cat of nine tails, that whip. And as they laid it across His back, those slivers of metal, bone, pottery would dig into His flesh and then they would jerk it back across His back. Ripping the flesh as they did. 39 lashes. It exposed His muscles as the flesh was ripped open, as they continued to beat on Him, it would, it would rip those muscles away and expose bone. They would continue to go. And as they got around his, his soft sides and His belly, as that would wrap around, it would expose internal organs. Many people would die because of shock and blood loss during the scourging. Jesus endured that. Mark 15, 15. Again, He turned Him over. After having Jesus scourged, He handed Him over to be crucified. And after Jesus was beaten, 
He was then subjected to mockery of the Roman soldiers that made up the governor's guard. See, Mark 15, 16-20 says this, The soldiers took him away in the palace, into the palace, that is the paraditorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in the purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they began to acclaim, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his own garments on him and they led him out to crucify him. See, when we think of thorns here in North Carolina, we think of getting in raspberry bushes and thickets and thistles and stuff like that. And these thorns, yes, they hurt. But these thorns that they wove together were not rosebush thorns. They were not raspberry thorns. These thorns were about three inches long. And they weaved them together to make a crown and they pressed them upon his head. And as they mocked him, they kept hitting him with a reed on his head, driving those thorns deeper and deeper into his skull. They then placed purple garment, a purple robe, signifying kingship on his back. Anybody remember being a child and falling down and skinning your knee? And then putting jeans on, and when you sit down, what happened to those jeans that were touching your knee? They got stuck, didn't they? And when you stood up or tried to take a step, and it pulled off, it hurt. And it opened those wounds again. Jesus' back was laid bare. They put that on Him. And all that bodily fluid, the blood and, and the, 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 everything that was coming out of Him soaked into that fabric. And that fabric adhered to Him. And so after they got done mocking Him, they tore that off of Him, opening up those wounds again. And they then put His own garments back on Him and led Him out to be crucified. Then, the victim of crucifixion would carry the large wooden crossbeam to the site of crucifixion. Bearing this load was not only extremely painful after the beating, but it added a measure of shame as the victim was carrying the instrument of his own death and torture. But Jesus, after having been awake for 48 hours and having gone through this beating, was too weak to carry the cross and needed help. Look at Mark 15.21. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of 
Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross. See, it was common that they made those being crucified carry the cross beam themselves. And they had to carry it from where they were beaten all the way to where they were going to be crucified. In this case, it winded through the streets of Jerusalem. The entire way being mocked, being spit at, having things thrown at them. That's what Jesus chose for us. When the victim arrived at the place of crucifixion, he would be stripped naked. Now understand this. Most of the pictures that we see of the crucifixion have Jesus in a loincloth. That is not true. Remember, the purpose of crucifixion was to inflict as much shame and torture on the person as possible. When the victim arrived at the place of the crucifixion, he would be stripped naked to further shame him. Then he would be forced to stretch out his hands on the crossbeam where they nailed in place. Mark 15, 22-26. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide which man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the King of the Jews. See, as they got there and they were stripped naked and they were laid on that cross beam, their arms would be stretched out. In many cases, their shoulders were dislocated to get their their hands where they needed to be. The nails were hammered through the wrist, not the palms. They weren't nailed through the palms in order to keep the nails from ripping through the flesh. They were, in the elder times, the wrist was considered part of the hand. So they were nailed through just below the joint of the wrist If you press on that, even now, it's excruciating with that nerve that runs through there. That's where the nail was driven. And then his other arm was stretched out and the nail was driven through that. And once he was nailed to that cross beam, those nails were placed in such a perfect place that it caused excruciating pain because of those nerves. At that point, the crossbeam then would be hoisted up. You see the, the standing beam stayed there between executions. It stayed in place. But as he was nailed 
to that crossbeam. That crossbeam then was tied and hoisted, pulled up with all of his weight being held by two nails in his wrist. And as they hoisted the jerking motion as he went up, he chose that. Once he got up there, that crossbeam was affixed, and the executioners would then take his feet, slightly bend his knees, and place his feet one over top of the other, and one single nail was driven through the top of his foot, through the arch of the foot, through the top of the other foot, through the arch of the other foot, into the upright beam. He chose that for us. But anybody that has plantar fasciitis or has arthritis in their feet, they know how tender those places on your feet are. He chose that for us. Once the victim was fastened to the cross, all his weight was supported by three nails which would cause pain shoot through his entire body. The victim's arms were stretched out in such a way that it would cause cramping and paralysis of the chest muscles, making it impossible to breathe unless some weight was borne by the feet. In order to take a breath, the victim had to push up with his feet on that one single nail. He would have to push up, straighten his legs, in order to be able to take a breath. While he did that, while he pushed up, his bare back that was laid open from the scourging rubbed against that rough board, that rough beam, causing more pain. And when he got a deep breath, he couldn't take the pain in his feet anymore. So he would relax. Victims normally died of asphyxiation and shock. Death took anywhere from a few hours to four days. As the victim hung in agony, he became the victim of mockery and abuse from the crowd gathered to wish to witness the execution. Look at Mark 15, 29-32. Those passing by were hurling abuse at Him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! Huh, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking Him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save Himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with Him were also insulting Him. What I find funny. As Jesus hung on the cross in agony, Dying 
for you and me. The insults that were being hurled at Him, He could have done. He could have spoken one word and a legion of angels would have been there surrounding Him. The Bible tells us that angels, even if He stumped His toe, that the angels would have been there to grab Him. All He had to do was speak one word. But He chose the cross. The creed also said that He died and was buried. When we say Jesus chose the cross, what we are saying is that Jesus willingly gave in to death at the appropriate time. Look at John 19, verses 28-30. through After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill Scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine up to, upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to His mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up His Spirit. The words used there is that even though Jesus surrendered Himself to the mercy of the Romans to be abused in such a way that He did it out of His own free will, and even in the midst of that, He was in control. Because it said that when He realized that all things were accomplished, He said, it is finished. And the Bible says, what is that word I just read? He gave up His Spirit. He didn't have to die. He chose to die. He gave up His Spirit. He allowed this to happen. Now remember, the purpose of this creed is to combat against Gnosticism. Even now we hear Jesus didn't die. Well, Jesus must assuredly died having been beaten, His body laid open, crucified, and even pierced in the side by a spear. Look at what it says in John 19, 31-35. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the, that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that also you might believe. See, John was the only disciple that was there at the cross. He saw everything, and he recorded everything that he saw. 
Now it was common for them to break the legs of those being crucified so they could no longer push up to take a breath and they would suffocate more quickly. But Scripture said that not a bone was broken. Prophecy that a bone would not be broken. And so when they came to break Jesus' legs, they saw that He was already dead, so a soldier took a spear and went into His side. And apparently, His body had already started to break down. And when He pierced into His side, He must have got part of His chest cavity. And all the fluid in His body started to come out the side. There is not a person alive that can withstand 39 lashes, crucifixion, and then being stabbed in the side, and then get up and push a big, huge rock out of the way to get out of a grave. Not to mention to unwrap himself. Jesus was most assuredly dead. The Romans would not have made such a grave mistake. Because their lives depended on it. See, Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. John 19, 38-42 After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one from fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take him away, take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body, Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight, so that they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen, wrappings with a spice, as the burial custom of the Jews. Now in this place there, where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a, to- a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus in him, in there. Jesus didn't even have his, a place to, die, to be buried. So two disciples asked for his body. And they buried him. Now, Jesus' tomb was sealed and guarded. See, the Jews were worried. The high priest worried that even after everything that was done he was worried Matthew 27 62 through 66 now on the next day the day after preparation the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said sir we remember that when he was still alive that the deceiver said after three days I am to rise again therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day And otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure along with the guard. They set a seal on the stone. (coughs) Excuse me. You know that when they put the stone in front, they were still concerned that something may happen. So not only did they place a guard in front of the grave, 
in front of the tomb, they placed a seal on that stone that said anybody that moved that stone, anybody that broke that seal was guilty unto death. Which means that if you mess with that stone, you would be crucified just like Jesus was. They made it as secure as they possibly could have. The Roman soldier that stood guard over the tomb. The Romans had a rule that if you were guarding someone and that person escaped, what happened to you? So you guarantee that this soldier was very motivated to make sure that nothing happened to that grave. That nobody went in and nobody came out. But church, let me tell you something. They didn't know who they were dealing with, did they? They didn't know. And thank goodness, Sunday's coming. Thank goodness that next Sunday, we find that we believe that Jesus didn't stay in that grave. But that is the cost of our salvation. That is what Jesus chose for us. And having talked about all that Jesus went through, I cannot see a more appropriate time to have communion. Remembering the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for us. As our deacons come forward to share in communion, we here at Crestview, we only have one requirement to partake in communion. It's that you are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ as your Savior. So parents with young children, if your child has accepted Christ and been baptized, they are welcome. If you are visiting with us and you are a baptized believer, you are welcome to join us in communion. Because we are doing this in remembrance of the cost of our salvation. serve our people.
And as they had gathered around the table as part of the Passover feast, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take and eat. serve our people. Then at the end of the meal, Jesus took the cup of Elijah and he said, this is my blood that is spilt for you. Take and drink. Dear Lord,
Lord, I ask that you bless us. We thank you beyond measure for what you went through to give us salvation. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us to cover our sins once and for all. Lord, we thank you for salvation. Bless us today. And it's in the holy and precious name of our Savior we pray. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen. As Sandra leads us in a hymn of invitation, if you were not able to take of the the Lord's Supper, the communion, because you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is the perfect opportunity for you to do that. If you are looking for a church home, we would love to have you come and be part of our fellowship. If you're needing just to pray, you're welcome to come and pray at this altar. Or stay where you are. If there is something that you need to get right with someone else, whatever it is that God is dealing with you about, this is your opportunity to take care of that right now as we sing this song. Would you stand as we sing hymn 141, The Old Rugged Cross.
This is Sherry Hawkins. Sherry is Amy Wright's aunt. Right? Correct. Right, right, right. You know. Uh, she is coming today and told me it's time I joined this church. So she, we are welcoming Sherry into our company. She's coming from transfer letter from Lafayette Street, from Lafayette Street Church. So we're glad that she is here with us. And if you are excited about Sherry becoming part of our fellowship, let me hear a hearty amen. amen. Okay. So I'm going to ask Sherry if you wouldn't mind going with Ginger and Kel and Amy, if you wouldn't mind standing out there with her. Uh, go out there and as people leave, give you the what we used to call the right hand of Christian fellowship. But here we hug necks. So, so but if you want to go ahead and go on out there. Uh, don't forget, tonight, 5.30, if you are a, on a committee that we just elected that took office on, the, on last Sunday, we need you to be here at 5.30. It should not take long, but please, please be here. It's very important. Then we all, we, all the stuff we have going on in the bulletin, all the different events, please pay attention to those. And I'm going to ask Whitey, as our deacon of the week, if he would come up and dismiss us in prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come in this church house and just learn more about you, Lord, about the crucifixion, how you went to the cross and died for our sins, Lord. But more than that, Lord, thank you for rising up, that we will be able to spend eternity in, in heaven with you, Lord. Lord, just use us today, not just on, let us hear it with our ears, but let us hear it with our heart, so we can go into the community, Lord, and spread the gospel. For Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Baptist men.